Hello everyone, thank you for tuning in yet again to another Beneplan podcast. My name is Sofian Chick and I'm joined by Mark Face. So today we're going to be talking about the more things change, the more they stay the same. You've been in the industry longer than anyone of us at Beneplan, so we would love your take on what you think how insurance has evolved from what it was 20 years ago to what it is right now. What do you think are some of the aspects that have remained the same? Well, let's first of all start with what changed. If you look at the landscape of insurance companies that were offering, I'm I'm specifically talking about benefits. So if you look at the landscape um, 30 years ago, there were um, 25, 30 companies uh, in Canada that offered benefits. If you look at the landscape today, there's a handful. What has happened is that many, many companies disappeared through acquisition, uh, through consolidation, um, we're now down to, you know, really three major companies and maybe five or six other smaller companies that are vying for the market, um, and that's a big change. Um, and and you might say, well, okay, how did that change things in the benefit business? Well, you know, unfortunately, it didn't. They used to compete viciously in that marketplace 30 years ago to acquire market share, and they would do some very destructive things, um, both to themselves temporarily, and they could take that, but to employers that were unsuspecting, whereby they would come in and bid on a particular benefit plan really, really cheap, or really low rates, and then entice this guy to come on board only to uh, surprise them with a big increase year after. And they said, well, we have to do things like that for the purpose of increasing our market share. You understand that when there was 20, 30 companies. Today, when there's less than 10, why are you still doing that? And they're still doing that, which is very disappointing. You would think at some stage the market would settle, and then you'd start selling based on service, based on innovation, based on distinguishing yourself from others, and so on and so forth. Now, the the other thing that is very disappointing to me is that the regulator, the Financial Services Commission of Ontario, also does nothing about it. Uh, They take the position that this is competition. We are a capital market. Well, yes, yes, we are. But the point is, there's a lot of disruption when you come to an employer that has 50 or 100 employees and say, I'm going to give you a better rate. You change the benefit plan. Everybody has to fill out new forms. It's, uh, it's a mess in every way in the first few months. And then soon after, the rate is uh, going up at the end of the first year. And now they're forced to either shut up and take the higher rate. And the insurance company has succeeded in scamming them into coming with them and therefore increasing their market share, or they go back to the market and they go through that destructive cycle again. The other thing which is, and, and I think FISCO, the Financial Services Commission of Ontario, should step in and lay out rules of the game because this is disruptive behavior that is just not helping anybody uh, in the, in this, for the sake of market share or there are other ways you can get market share. Mm-hmm. You can be better, more efficient, more innovative, and so on, but not 
that way. But why do you think that is? Why do you think it is encouraged to, you know, scam people or... Well, it's, it's the same mentality. I want market share. So a, a new person takes over and I'm the new marketing director or new vice president of group and my job is to increase market share. So I don't know how to do it any other way except to buy business, reduce my rate. It's destructive for me, but it's only a year. A year after, most likely I'll keep the guy because nobody wants to go through the disruption again and so on and so forth. The regulator should not allow this to continue. They should step in and say, wait a minute, we, the regulator is there to protect the consumer. The consumer are employers, employers that are unsuspecting. They don't quite understand what's going on. They're being scammed. Um, the other thing which bothers me in this whole area about the regulator is the fact that the regulator really has no proper professional certification for consultants in this marketplace. You're kidding. No, I'm not kidding. I mean, everybody will tell you to be able to sell benefits, all you need to do is go get licensed as a life insurance agent. Mm -hmm. Well, life insurance is a different product, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. It has nothing to do with benefits. Yeah. In the test to become a life insurance agent, you could absolutely fail the area to do with benefits mm -hmm. completely and yet pass and get to be a licensed life insurance agent that knows all about life insurance and, and CI and disability and so on, but not benefits. And now you're out there actually selling benefits and actually consulting the same unsuspecting employers. Again, I think Fisco should step in and actually regulate it, put up some standards, say to, to these life insurance agents, and some have, have gone on to learn benefits really, really well. Mm -hmm. And some have become excellent benefit consultants. But they did it not through study and proper certification. They did it by being smart and read and so on and so forth. But I think regulators should step in and say, now there's going to be a standard. You have to pass these exams. And, and then you can, in fact, be certified to consult and sell employee benefit plans. So you mentioned a couple of things regarding the fiscal that they should step in and you know design a plan that would allow people to, I guess, be more uh, cautious of not breaking any policies. But if you're looking at the whole fiscal arrangement from a distance, what would you say? They should have a, a, a policy as to how insurance companies price or offer benefits to prospective new clients. You shouldn't be buying business. Mm -hmm. Uh, because that's long-term disrupt disruption, uh, so they can actually have policies that clearly outlines how insurance companies should behave, and 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 they should also set up, um, you, you know, a protocol of uh, um, of how consultants or brokers in the business uh, would be allowed to be active in that business. They have to pass certain exams, just like any any other. I mean, accountants, lawyers, uh, you know, they have to, you know, qualify themselves, pass exams, and move on from there. Uh, in the benefit business, that doesn't exist. So, Mark, can you define excellent systems? What has changed 20 years ago up until now? Uh, 20 years ago, um, 25 years ago, there were no drug cards. You'd have to go, to, and, and there were no uh, automatic submission of claims. 
you you would have to go spend the money and uh, for a drug at, at the pharmacy, uh, fill out forms, send it in by regular mail, wait for the check to come back. Same with dental and everything else. Nowadays, of course, you don't have to do any of that. Uh, you just go. There's a drug card. You buy it. Buy it. Now you you also can log in through an app on your phone or on a computer and find out how much you've spent, how much you've got left, uh, what you can and cannot do, and so on and so forth. So from a systems point of view, and I'm talking specifically from both administrators of plans inside uh, employers, as well as employees, systems are spectacular. And that's probably the case across the entire landscape. Um, that's done really well, but all the, but but here's what did not change. Plan design hardly ever really changed. We're still buying health and dental, and it's 80 percent, and it's this is the maximum. And yes, you you now have health spending accounts and so on. But I got news for all these people: health spending accounts has been around forever, yeah. you know. And now there's you got health spending accounts, you know, really. There has been no innovation in how you deliver a benefit plan whatsoever. Yes, there's flex plans, but flex plans are, are flawed in that they um, allow for anti-selection, which allows for much higher increases and so on and so forth. The biggest, the biggest problem in the area of benefits is that really there is very little education by the system, meaning employers, insurance companies, brokers, educating plan members. Plan members think it's a benefit plan. I get it. They don't think for a second that who's paying for it? Uh, cost might become a problem. If I abuse it, it could hurt me. Uh, they don't, there's none of that. They just... Uh, um, go out there and, and grab whatever they can. And if they're aware of it, they'll get it. And, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you, the suppliers, like the pharmacist, the doctor that prescribes, the dentist, they don't give a damn. <laughs> they, all they care about is, I'm going to get paid. And yes, if they follow the rules, they get paid. Whether that guy needs it or not, what needs to happen is that benefit plans should be redesigned to actually drag plan members into the equation, screaming and kicking, whereby the plan member has to feel pain if they abuse, normally, without having to punish them. You, you set it up in such a way such that if you abuse, you're going to feel pain. If you uh, cheat, you're going to feel real pain. But if you are reasonable, then you could you could actually get everything you want out of that benefit plan by negotiating. I mean, plan members never, ever, ever negotiate. That has to change. Also has to do with the education that they have. I mean, you know, being a patient, they don't necessarily know where they're hurting or what's the problem they're facing. So do you think dentists might upsell them too? Of course they on, do. Yeah. That happens all the time. I mean, and I don't, I'm not blaming dentists or, or doctors or anybody. Yeah. These are professionals that are saying, look, I'm a, I'm a dentist. I'm in business to make money. Mm -hmm. So you know what? If some guy comes to me and says, I want to spend $1,000, yeah. and I can't get him to spend $1,000, I'll 
Well, I'm, I'm no different than a TV salesman that upsells this guy from a small TV yeah. to biggest, most expensive TV. Especially in this case, the guy himself is not paying for it. His employer is paying yeah. for it. Uh, now, you briefly touched on drug cards when you were talking about innovation. My question to you is, and this is like me assuming, that the reception of people actually going online and checking their balance would be you know, millennials or like people from this new generation. When you're talking about customers who have been with you or benefit plan owners who've been with you for like last 25 years, are they open to the idea of doing things electronically, digitally, or do they still want a human interaction and they're like, no, I've been doing this for 25 years now and I don't want to change right now, I might as well just keep it going on. It's, this is life. Uh, it, it, the answer is not yes or no. The answer is it's um, change happens as change happens. You know, a guy that uh, is used to sending his claims by mail, slowly but surely might find out that, oh my God, it's not really that difficult to log on and do it. Mm -hmm. Download this app, somebody shows him or her Next thing you know, they are doing it. And how old are they? They're 70 years old, and they, yeah, they can do it. So the change happens. I'm sure there are millennials that, that uh, aren't that savvy. So it's, it's all over the place, just like anything else in our society. Uh, you know, slowly but surely, change happens. It doesn't happen instantly, just because they invented a new way of doing things everybody uptakes it no slowly but surely it's uptaken depending upon where it is mm -hmm. and the same with benefits mm -hmm. and technology mm -hmm. it's happening and i'm seeing more and more older people mm -hmm. that are actually you know logging in and i'm i get asked but older people say can i submit my claims electronically yeah. and i say yes let me show you how yeah. and our people show them and all of a sudden that's the only way they do it mm -hmm. And let's talk about the interest now of, of people in benefits or insurance. Do you think the interest has drastically changed over the years of people who want to get insurance, who want to get their benefits, or it's still the same? Because my assumption is, and then you can correct me if I'm wrong over here, uh, is that people in the past were not that curious about their benefit plan or their insurance. They were like, okay, well, I have it. It's good to have it, but I'm probably never going to use it because, you know, why should I? So when it comes to selling benefits or insurance, do you think people are now more educated and proactive learning about insurance and like how beneficial it is for them in the end? Or they're still like, oh, like, you know, I might not talk about it right now. I don't have time. I'd rather do something else. Benefits were invented for a very specific reason. This is a commercial way of compensating your employees. It is not, oh, benefits, I want it. No, I don't want it. I need it. I don't need it. No. An employer says to the employee, I really like your skill. I want to hire you. I want you to come and work for me. For that, I'm going to pay you money. But one of the other things I'm going to give you is I'm going to give you these benefits that actually could come in handy if and when you need them. Mm -hmm. Now, yes, the good old days, everybody thought of benefits as if I have a drug, if I have an accident, if I have a problem, it's going to be there for me. And in my mind, that's really what it's all about, right? It's, it, and there is a tax component to benefits. If an employer gives you money 
it's taxable. If he gives you health and dental benefits, it's not taxable to you. So it's an, another attraction. I'm getting tax-free money, right? I, yes, you know, I understand that in certain circles, millennials, especially young people, I want to be able to hire a dog walker. I want you to come and work for me. I don't want to walk your dog. Go find some other guy to walk your dog. Or you want to exercise? Yes, now exercise is another thing. I will give you a benefit that allows you to go to a fitness class because I want you to be fit. Not because I want to kind of throw money at you, no. I want you to be fit. If you're fit, you're more productive when you come at work. You're happier. You're motivated. Yeah. You're more motivated. But, so that's where we should continue to focus. And, and employer employees shouldn't be saying, oh, no, I'm, I'm aware of it, I'm not. Employees should be saying, look, I'm going to come to work for you. I'm a good person. I know what I'm doing. I can help your company. You're going to give me $60,000 a year. That's wonderful. But what else? What are your benefits like? What if I have a problem? What if I become disabled? What if I am sick? What if I'm there for you? Here's this benefit plan. And yes, by the way, we can pay for your fitness classes, yoga classes. That's all very legitimate. But it shouldn't be such that I'm paying for your fitness club and you're not going to fitness. I don't want to do that. Yeah. So Mark, you talked about biologics that it has. It is something new in the industry. Can you define biologics and what is this new term that has got everyone so hyped? I tell you, biology, biologics are a, a, a certain class of drugs, prescription drugs, that are, that are non-chemical, not chemical. Most drugs that we know are chemical compounds that we ingest and they do th certain things in our body. Biologics are, in fact, a biological molecule that gets grown in a petri dish, if you like, and that's get injected into the person's system. Now some of them are, have become fancy. You can take it in a pill and so on and so forth. They are absolutely spectacular. They solve major problems. And uh, they're extremely expensive. And over the last 10 or 15 years, they've come into benefit plans and they have caused havoc. Um, you know, some of these drugs are $70,000, $80,000 a year, every year. Whereby the biggest guy, the most expensive guy on drugs used to cost $2,000, $3,000, $4,000, $5,000 a year. Heart medication, I don't know what, and so on. Nowadays, you've got a guy on biologics and it's $25,000 a year, every year, for God knows how long. Wow. Well, imagine a small plan with you know 20 employees. If they have one or two of these people, the plan is gonna go bankrupt. Mm -hmm. So that, so they're fantastic, but they're expensive. They're expensive because they're less, they're not used as much. How did things not change? Well, in the, the attitude of insurers, they put their hands up in the air and said, oh my God, this is expensive. What, we're gonna have to charge more money, you know? And they found a way to do it that it's less hurtful and more palpable because they don't charge it direct to the, the, the employee, employer who's 
employees are using them, they charge it, they call to a pool. So they say, because of these expensive drugs, we're going to ask you to contribute into a pool, and that pool will pay for these drugs. And, and that's very legitimate, and it's very nice, uh, and it works. My question is, they should have done something about it. There are two ways they could do something about it. One way, in my mind, they could come together under their association, the insurance association, to actually better purchase these drugs. And look, it's, this is a capitalist society. If you buy one drug at a time, it's going to cost you $10. If you buy 50,000 of these drugs at the same time, it'll cost you $5. 500,000, it'll cost you a dollar. And that's what they could do. They have not done that. The other thing they could do is they could force it onto, back onto provincial governments. We do that at Benaplan, whereby what you do is you put a cap on your drug plan. And by putting a cap on the drug plan, you're forcing the provincial government to step in and help that person that has reached the cap. I know this is a little bit heartless in some cases, but wait a minute, we don't just do that. We are there to help these people navigate through the system to make sure that they do get their drugs. Insurance companies have done nothing about it. They could go together and they could lobby the provincial government to find, and indeed, I want to tell you this, other provinces in this beautiful country of ours do just that. Mm -hmm. They automatically tell their residents. In BC, for example, in Quebec, they say, whoa, expensive drugs are our responsibility. The maximum you, as an, as an employee, or your employer has to pay is this much. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes is related to your salary or income or whatever. And then we'll step in, not Ontario, right? Ontario keeps pretending ah, it doesn't exist and keep hoping that people will just go to their employers and pay. Mm -hmm. And the employers don't know any difference. So they go to their insurance companies and the insurance company ups the rates and everybody is tangled up, upset, and yet it continues to happen, you know. You would think there would be some leadership from insurance companies on that area. So to our listeners, thank you once again for tuning into our podcast today. If you'd like us to record a specific topic, please email us at ea at beneplan.ca. You can find us on our social channels on Instagram at beneplan.ca. Twitter uh, at Beneplan and Facebook as Beneplan Cooperative. This is Sofian signing out. Thank you again.